Another day is here, and you're ready for it. What to wear? Check. Breakfast, lunch, and dinner? Check. Planning for what's next and how to save for it? That's where Bank of America can help. For your financial to-dos, Bank of America has experts ready to help get you closer to your goals. Get started at one of our local financial centers or 24-7 in our mobile banking app. Find a location near you at bankofamerica.com slash talk to us. What would you like the power to do? Mobile banking requires downloading the app and is only available for select devices. Message and data rates may apply. Bank of America and a member FDSE. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. TCL is a proud sponsor of the 1500 ESPN Studios. TCL, America's fastest-growing TV brand. Minnesota Vikings, the NFL, football, yeah, football. Welcome to Purple Podcast. Welcome to another episode of the Purple Podcast. Matthew Collar here, along with former NFL quarterback Sage Rosenfels. Sage, I have a question for you. Saw this. Good works. morning. Good morning. Good morning to Fire you. Fire away. All right. I want to know what the week is like for an NFL quarterback when you are leading up to a game like the Vikings have this week against the Philadelphia Eagles, because a the season feels like it's on the line. It isn't, but it certainly feels that way. B, the Philadelphia Eagles have a defensive line that is way, way better than the Vikings offensive line. And C, this is the team that whipped you in not only the NFC championship, but also kind of ruined your season in 2016 as well in the same building. Is What is that like when you know... A lot of things are being talked about. A lot of things might be going against you this week. How does that change things for you as a quarterback? You know, I, I think for a quarterback, and it, it sort of sounds cliche, but I don't think you, you know, completely change what you do, you know, based off of you lost a couple of games here or there, your team's not playing as well. Uh, you, your grind is just sort of all the time during the season. So I, I think it's just, you just sort of stay with what you're doing. You, you might put a little bit of extra time, uh, just, just because, but uh, to be honest with you, for the most part, uh, you know, my preparation personally, and then I feel like the other guys around me, what was pretty much the same from week to week, maybe, uh, said maybe you put a little extra time. I remember like Favre, uh, you know, a, a couple of really big games that season. I feel like when we played the Packers. Uh, he was there on Friday night, putting an extra time rather than, you know, out in his, in his, uh, you know, in a tree hunting somewhere, <laughs> you know, during, during the fall. So, but for the most part, you, uh, you, you know, you, you just sort of, you know, kept to your game plan that you start week one and you continue throughout the, the entire year. Uh, you know, I will say this though, uh, you know, in, there's certain defenses that are much more complex than others. So mm-hmm. certain teams, there's not really a lot to look at. I mean, you have to, you know, obviously just go out there and play. Uh, but, you know, some teams only have, you know, three or four or five blitzes and, and, uh, and there's not a lot of tells on them. You know, it's not like you line up a certain way and it's like, okay, they're going to be in cover three versus cover two. 
Uh, a lot of defenses, they make everything look the same and you sort of have to let the coverage and, and blitzes and all those things play out. But then there's other teams. Uh, as I said, let's, let's, I, I always like to go off of when Rex Ryan was a coordinator. Mm-hmm. His stuff was so complex and the blitzes are always coming from everywhere. Uh, and it was, you know, you, you, there was just so much to study that it seemed like those games you'd get sort of overwhelmed a lot of times with trying to, you know, figure out where all the blitzes were and what's the best way to protect them and all the things you can do. Uh, then you played, you know, teams that played that Tampa two coverage, like the Bears or, or, you know, the Indianapolis Colts. And it's like they basically ran two coverages the entire game. I mean, you can't just sit there for hours and hours, keep looking at the same thing. Mm-hmm. So what, uh, how much study is it? You on your own as a quarterback versus you in the meeting rooms, you talking with teammates. How does that work? So, you know, you, you come in Monday after a loss, you usually get a lift in and then you have team meetings and, and you, you, you rewatch the entire game. Uh, a lot of players don't really watch any film on Monday as far as the next opponent. I, as a quarterback, always like to watch, you know, just really quickly go through the last probably two games of the, the upcoming opponent. Uh, just sort of get a, a feel for them, not really break them down, just sort of get a basic feel for them. Uh, and then I would come in on Tuesday. And I think most quarterbacks at this point come in on Tuesday. I remember Mark Trestman. I don't know if you remember that name. Mark Trestman's from St. Oh, Louis yeah. Park, actually. Mm-hmm. Uh, you know, former Bears coach, long time offensive coordinator of the league, been coaching in Canada the last few years, you know, really successful in Canada. He used to say, you know, for quarterbacks, there's no days off. There's just no days off. Mm-hmm. And, and, you know, Tuesday is the day off is, is everyone knows, but for quarterbacks, you were in, you know, you're in there for, couple hours of film, whatever. So a lot of times you you spend an extra, uh, some extra time, you know, extra two, three hours, four hours on Tuesday, breaking down a whole bunch of film as the coaches are doing that awesome Monday and Tuesday. And, uh, and then, you know, once Wednesday hits for the most part, uh, unless you're talking about the end of the day or in the evening, uh, you're just sort of going through your team meeting stuff. Um, you know, on the, I say that Wednesday and Thursday, you're sort of long days. So, you know, you're, you probably start watching film and in meetings at, you know, seven 30 in the morning, uh, and that and practice and lunch. And next thing you know, it's, you know, five 30 at night. Uh, you know, you're hearing a lot of meetings on Wednesday and Thursday. Mm-hmm. So, uh, you probably watch, you know, 15 to 20 hours of film or so, you know, throughout the week. It's pretty incredible, actually. That is, yeah, that is a lot of work. Uh, that's not as much tape grinding as we do on this podcast, but you know, it's a, it's a little bit. <laughs> um, this week, Sage is huge though. I mean, with the, uh, with the Vikings playing the Eagles, it does feel like if you come away with the first five games and you only get one win, uh, that things will be collapsing. And, you know, we've kind of talked a little bit at times about the outside pressure and the outside world. There is no way that these guys now do not understand the levity of this game. I mean, even Kirk Cousins said, like, that it's going to be, I forget exact words, but this is going to be a really big one, and everybody's going to kind of be on high alert for this week. How can they handle this opponent who has whooped them and also has so much talent on the defensive line? What can they do to protect Kirk Cousins this time around? I'd like to say run the football, but as I'm looking at the, you know, the Eagles stats, they're number one in, uh, in rushing defense uh, in the NFL right now, right? At at 63 yards a game and the Vikings are only running the ball, I think about 65, 67 yards a game. So this is a bad combination. You know, that, that makes you think like, well, they're going to have to, 
throw the ball 45 times or 50 times a game. Uh, I, I just don't think this is the Vikings formula for success. And, and uh, I don't think they want it to be. Uh, but I, I think, uh, you know, I think that you, you just can't throw the ball this many times to protect Kirk Cousins. It's not what the O-line's great at. Uh, at all, it's, and it's also, it sort of exposes your weaknesses, you know, like just in life or whatever, you got to maximize your strengths and try to minimize your weaknesses. But, you know, the way the Vikings have played the last few weeks by throwing the ball as many times as they have, I feel like they're actually exposing their weaknesses. So it's been easy for people to say the O-line stinks, but, uh, I actually think they've played, you know, fairly well. They're just put in a really tough situation. So, uh, you know, they got to find out the right game. They need some turnovers. That's one thing they haven't gotten much. Seems like the last few weeks is turnovers. They could really use some timely turnovers in this game, get that lead. Uh, and then, uh, you know, you know, cause, you know, Philadelphia to be the aggressor. Uh, and maybe that leads to, to more turnovers. Yeah, I, I agree on especially who they've faced this offensive line. It's kind of been uh, a perfect storm for them to look bad because the, each week they've faced especially monsters on the interior. And, and last Thursday was the best example ever of that. But also, I mean, Green Bay with Kenny Clark and DeForest Buckner in week one. And it just it seems like they haven't gotten a break. And they will eventually when they start to play uh, some of the AFC East teams that uh, don't have the greatest defensive lines. I mean, the Patriots don't have any incredible pass rushers or incredible nose tackles or anything like that. Uh, you know, the Jets have some players. Leonard Williams is good, but it's it's not the same level as facing Aaron Donald and Indomitian Sue. So yeah, they, I mean, that was that was a nightmare matchup for them last week. And, you know, by the way, also, you know, they didn't have their center uh, for the first few games of the year. Right. He basically, you know, he, he obviously started last week, but he hadn't, what, played real football for – probably six weeks or, or two months or something like that. Right. So, uh, yeah, that was a bad matchup all around for the Vikings. And, and as I said, you know, they sort of got exposed there, uh, as time went on, but I, I really thought for the most part, they, they played pretty well. I, I did see a stat by the way, the other day that, that, uh, the, the Vikings offensive line has, and it's not even close, given up the most pressures. They've given up like 80 pressures and like 300 and some attempts mm-hmm. uh, or something like that. Uh, uh, not, not 300 attempts. I can't remember how many it was, but they've given up 80 pressures or something like that this year uh, or something. So uh, maybe it's going into last year. I can't remember what the stat was, but they're giving up the most pressures amongst offensive line in the NFL. So I feel like they got to figure out a way to run the football, stick to the run, you know, those types of things to, you know, to have success. I will find this stat for you. Okay, here it is. I think this is it's one of those random Twitter things that yes. you just believe. It's like because it happened on Twitter is absolutely true. You were very close. Uh, it is Sam Monson from Pro Football Focus, I believe, had the stat that you were looking for. 81 total pressures through four games. The average offensive line gives up 160 over a season. Now, a big part of that is the fact that they've had to throw 50 times a game, as as you're alluding to. And it's still incredible though. That's, that's, that's 20 pressures a game. That's a lot. That is a lot. <laughs> that's a lot. It is yeah. 42% of Kirk Cousins dropbacks and his career high before that was last year, 39%. And when he was at his best, I'm sure this won't surprise you. It was only 32%. So, you know, when Trent Williams wasn't hurt in DC, turns out that the quarterback was a lot better. I, I wonder about getting the running game going, Sage, because I mean, last year they would get ahead. And they would run the ball successfully and they would throw a lot of dump off passes to Jarek McKinnon and occasionally to Latavius Murray. 
and they would control the ball that way. And Case Keenum was really good at operating that type of offense, and I don't doubt that Kirk Cousins could too, but a major part of it is you have to get ahead or you've got to be in the game uh, in order to to still run, and, and then, of course, that helps set up all the play-action stuff. Uh, there is a team, Sage, that basically stopped running and still had a successful season. In, in 1994, I wrote an article about this in 2016. In 1994, the Patriots basically just decided to stop running altogether because they couldn't do it. And these were the uh, Marion Butts days. And, oh, yeah. And so that season, Drew Bledsoe threw 691 passes, which in 1994 is completely unheard of. And 65 of them went to a running back. 52 went to a fullback. And I wonder if that's the solution for the Vikings is not to throw 52 passes to C.J. Ham exactly, but you've got to get Delvin Cook the ball. You've got to get Latavius Murray the ball and maybe Mike Boone or Rock Thomas. They got in the game last week. I think the short, quick passes, screens, bubble screens, whatever way you can to throw the ball to those guys is the way to go because you're not going to be able to run against the Eagles. Yeah, well, they got to get the lead somehow. So, however, they score points early in football games, they got to figure out a way to to start fast. You know, that stat that they uh, were ahead by 16 points or more in 10 games last year mm-hmm. is crazy. And and obviously, I don't think that's going to happen again this year. Uh, but you know, they got to find a way to get the lead uh, and get up by seven points or 10 points. And and I said, you know, some of that's on offense and some of that's on defense. This team has to play complementary football. It seemed like, seems like something so far this year they haven't done a great job of. So here, here's another stat for you. Now, this is via me, so I went back and looked through this. They have only been leading three of the last 13 quarters, or they've only won three of the last 13 mm-hmm. quarters. And it's very hard to play the same way they did last year when it's only three of the last 13 quarters. <sighs> I mean, is it is it wrong to feel like this thing is is just teetering on the edge? I mean, that is the the feeling that I have had since Thursday night is when you look at some of the defensive issues and breakdowns, they have way more talent than the way they've played, but they have to solve these issues, right? And every week you're not going to face Sean McVay, but when you look around, <coughs> I mean, Chicago never has offense, and then they put up 48 points last week. So I'm, I mean, almost anyone is capable of doing that. And if the Vikings can't find ways to slow people down, I mean, then they're not going to win this one, and this season is not going to go anywhere close to how we thought it was going to go. Yeah, and we're, we are getting closer to that spot. And I will say this: you know, the Vikings were two and two last year. You know, through four games, ended up winning. You know, going thirteen and three. Uh, so obviously, going on that great run. So even if they end up one three and one, uh, you know, after you know th- this weekend. I got to think all is not lost. You know, they could still go on a run again, but uh, they just had, they've had a really tough schedule early on. Obviously the Buffalo loss was something nobody expected. Uh, I, they did play really well in a lot of ways, in particular on offense last week, but their defense has really let them down. I mean, let's, let's talk about going back to the Saints playoff game, uh, where, you know, Drew Brees really, I mean, the, he lit it up in that game. I don't know how many yards he threw for, but I feel like it was like over 300, 350 yards. Mm-hmm. Uh, in that game, and and then yeah, obviously uh, they get through the game with the Minneapolis miracle. Uh, they get on to the next game of the Rams, and they just get destroyed. Uh, you know, gave up uh, what whatever forty plus points or whatever, and then you know come into this season, you still think you got that top ranked defense back. Uh, almost every single player on that defense is back. 
And, uh, you know, you add Sheldon Richardson. So you think you added more of a, another guy in the middle and it just hasn't been, been the same. They, they haven't harassed quarterbacks. Uh, guys have gotten open, uh, in, in the passing game. Uh, they've had bad matchups. I will say that, you know, having those three fast receivers last week, not a good matchup. You know, Xavier Rhodes is really good, but not great against, you know, burners and, and smaller, quick guys like Brandon Cooks. Uh, you know, this week he'll be matched up, you know, probably against, uh, you know, Aguilar or Alshon Jeffrey. Those would be better matchups for him because those are sort of bigger guys. Mm-hmm. Uh, yep. so, you know, I, I'm really interested to see how they play this week in particular, you know, based off of last year after they got destroyed in that championship game. Yeah, this will be, I think, the best test of the leadership and how they handle adversity of the coach and quarterback because we've seen Mike Zimmer come through at times last year for them uh, and and be the the guy that they needed in 2016. I thought that he wasn't, uh, you know, especially with the way that he handled some situations, the cornerbacks at the end of the year and uh, the the North Turner situation. All those things seemed to to go downhill. So now it's how much did you learn from that? And also with Kirk Cousins, uh, how can he navigate this? And, you know, when we looked at the schedule from the very beginning, I think you said this as well. I mean, when we looked at the schedule from the very beginning, we said there's going to be more adversity this year than last year because there's just so many darn good teams on the schedule. And that Bills loss, you're right, it really puts them in a spot where they now have to win this game. They can't get away with going to Philly and, and laying an egg again, or the season is, is, is truly going to be on the brink for them. Yeah. And, and anytime you lose a game, you're really expected to win. Then, then you have to sort of balance it out and go try to win a game that you're expected to lose. And this would be right. one of those games. I think the, the Vikings are expected to lose this game. I think a lot of people believe that, uh, especially with how that championship game went. So this would be a great way. This, this win would be huge to get them back on track. Uh, but if they lose, um, you know, you, you have to sort of figure out, you know, what is this team going to be? And, and, you know, going into the season, a lot of people had them in this, you know, going back to the championship game, a Super Bowl caliber team, you know, they added a, the, the quarterback and all those things. And I, I said, like, listen, it is really, really hard to win 13 regular season games. You generally only see it when teams have great quarterback play. Mm-hmm. You know, this is, you're talking about the Peyton Manning days where they always won 13 games. It seemed like in the, the AFC South, you know, Tom Brady for, Almost two decades now. Seems like they're always winning 12, 13, 14 games every year, but it doesn't happen very often. I mean, Drew Brees has only won 13 games a few times in his career. They, mm-hmm. they win 11 games a lot. They win 10 games a lot. So I really thought this Vikings team, just because it seems like when the ball bounces your way one year, the next year it bounces the other way. And I thought, you know, they're going to lose some of these close games and, and, uh, you know, they might have that untimely turnover. Uh, they might get behind and things might not work out for them, whatever it might be. And, and they might only be in a, you know, say a nine win football team. But as of right now, I think they'd, you know, nine wins is like, hmm, that might be, that might be, uh, 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 more than they even are, are thinking about getting this year. I mean, we'll have to see if they'll play this thing out. The season is a marathon. That's one thing you always have to remember. You know, we always, we always like to say you know, early on, is this a must win game? That mm-hmm. this sort of almost feels like a must win game, but, Man, it's a marathon. You just got to, you do have to take it one at a time and, and just let the season play out over 16 games. So let me uh, switch gears on you, Sage. Did you see what Patrick Mahomes did the other night? I did. I did. You that didn't was, ever uh, attempt a left handed pass, did you? Uh, 
not that I know of. I don't <laughs> think so. Maybe, maybe, you know, maybe I, you know, I definitely, I, I actually, I know I, I attempted a couple left hand passes. There was a couple of times you step up in the pocket and there'd be that check down right in front of you, that running back who had gone over the ball right in front of you. And rather than throwing it, I would take it in my left hand and sort of shuffle, shovel pass it, uh, you know, right, you know, right to him. It was almost a quicker, it's almost a quicker throw than actually throwing the ball with your, with your right arm. So a couple of times I did that, right? You're, you're, you're getting hit maybe. Okay. Or that counts. Grab your right arm and then you, and you throw it with your left hand. Uh, but not like running to my <laughs> left, uh, as the receivers ran across the field, uh, and then put a ball like, you know, right on them. I mean, it was, it was, it was a perfect throw too. That was, that was, that was an incredible play. But Holmes is a huge talent. Everyone talks about the huge arm, which he has. But it's really the way he moves around in the pocket. Mm. You know, he's a really good athlete. He's not Michael Vick back there. They have similar arm strengths, uh, but he's not, you know, he's not a guy that's a runner. But in today's day and age with having quarterbacks like, like Rogers and like Russell Wilson and like a lot of these guys who are moving around a lot and, and making things happen and not just staying in that pocket, uh, Mahomes is going to be one of those guys. And you, you add that to a huge arm. Uh, you, you got a special, you know, uh, you got a special quarterback waiting to happen. So I read a book over the summer called The Making of a Quarterback. Uh, it's by Bruce Feldman. It's really good. And, you know, a lot of it is about, you know, kids growing up in quarterback camps and things like that. Uh, but there's also some parts where he talks with Trent Dilfer about just what makes a great quarterback and how everyone is looking for it, you know, and, and how rare it is. And, of course, you know, you got to play with Favre, so you were able to see that. And his uh, point about, you know, the great all-time sort of quarterbacks, the difference is that most most of the stuff you do can be executed by our journeyman quarterbacks, but the guys who are special are the ones in big situations who make a play that can do something truly special. And Mahomes does it like every week. He had the one in week one where he's running around and he finds a guy at the end, and as a... As a watcher of old games, it's what you see all the time with Montana and Elway and Aaron Rodgers. It's the guy who buys himself a little bit extra time and then does something really special. And I feel like Mahomes has that. Yeah, and, and it's pretty obvious he is not scared to make a play. You know, which part of that time, part of that I always thought is, you know, being scared to make a mistake. A lot of times when I played, I was scared to make a mistake. You mm-hmm. know, as a guy who's a backup, uh, you know, trying to stay in the league for as much as possible. If you hold the ball too long and sort of run around, you know, trying to make a great play, and sometimes those end up being great plays, sometimes those end up backfiring too, and you get hit by a D lineman, the ball comes out, mm-hmm. and you look like a complete jerk, right? So uh, to have the – now, older guys that have been around for a long time who have been there, done it, they've been to Pro Bowls, they've made it, you know, a gazillion dollars, they don't have that pressure. Right. Uh, if they do make a mistake, it's like, well – and you know, they made a mistake, but they're, you know, they're going to, they're going to try to make those plays. And there's a risk to, to that, right? As a guy who's sort of trying to make it in the league or trying to prove himself, uh, it's hard to take that risk. Uh, but a guy like Mahomes for, uh, you know, early in his career, he is not conservative. And then that's what's exciting about him is that, you know, and, and Andy Reid, it seems like there's like, this is the, this is the Andy Reid sort of QB whisperer mm-hmm. is, you know, there's obviously an aspect of getting a young guy to sort of execute the basics of an offense, but, on top of it is allowed a guy to sort of be himself, uh, and, to, you know, to be a gunslinger a little bit. And, and sometimes they're going to make mistakes, but if you let a guy, you sort of let him loose, uh, and, and sort of let him go, you know, good things usually happen over the course of his career. He did that with, with Brett Favre. 
uh, in Green Bay. Uh, I think he did that with McNabb. Uh, now he's doing that with uh, with Patrick Mahomes, and you know, allowing Mahomes to sort of uh, make plays like this is uh, is a lot of fun to watch. Yeah, you're totally right that the situation that guys are put in, and whether they are empowered to do that sort of thing, uh, I think it makes a big difference in, in whether they succeed or maximize their talent. And man. He was fun to watch in college, and he is super fun to watch now in the NFL. So you know what's really amazing, by the way, I was looking up yesterday. Do you know who the quarterback was at Oklahoma or at Oklahoma at Texas Tech before uh, Baker Mayfield? Hmm. Uh, I don't. A guy by the name of Davis Webb. Oh, that's right. Yeah, 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 yeah. Uh, is, Davis uh, Webb. is he currently still in the league with the Giants? No, I, I, I maybe I thought he may have gotten cut, yeah, but I'm not sure. I think he got cut. I believe he was a third round pick last year. Uh, yes. And do you know, do you know who Davis Webb uh, competed with? They split time, and then Davis would end up beating him out, and then this player ended up transferring. Do you know who that was? W- would that be Mahomes? One Baker Mayfield. Oh, Baker Mayfield. Oh, Mayfield. Right. Yeah. Yeah. So basically, with Mayfield and Davis Webb, and those guys left, and then Mahomes uh, ended up being, you know, the guy to throw for, you know, five thousand yards for right. a couple of years or whatever right. it was at Texas Tech. I mean, the stats. You look at those stats of the Texas Tech quarterbacks. It's absolutely incredible. I mean, they have. You're going through this list, and they have, you know, uh, who's thrown the most touchdown passes in the game, and it's like eight. And then there's like nine people tied at seven. Mm-hmm. I mean, they've always thrown seven touchdown passes in a the game. They're like, that's just that's absolutely insane. But uh, yeah, they know how to throw the ball down there with Cliff Kingsbury and and uh, the Texas Tech Red Raiders. Yeah, and I think that uh, NFL teams who passed on Mahomes overthought it a little bit with that because you know, it's the same. The criticism of Aaron Rodgers is like, well, he doesn't come from a coach that's had success with quarterbacks anymore, or the system or whatever else, and it's. Every individual is different, though. And when I watched Mahomes in college, the guy would make those throws all the time where it would just be like, what, what, how is he throwing it into that window with that arm strength? And he still completed something like 65% of his passes, and he wasn't throwing short dump-offs all the time. So, uh, Yeah, the, the question is, like, what do you, you know, when you're an NFL coach, are you looking for a really refined product? Yeah. Uh, when your guy shows up, you know, was, did he go to USC or, or a team that maybe, uh, Stanford's one of those teams. Stanford runs as, as much as anyone else, a very traditional style of offense, uh, sort of NFL traditional style of offense under center, mm-hmm. you know, the play action, those types of things. And so if you're going to get a Stanford quarterback, he's going to be pretty refined. He's going to be sort of ready to go right away. He's going to understand your concepts if that's your offense. Uh, but then you get a guy like, you know, like Baker Mayfield or, or, you know, like one of these Texas Tech quarterbacks and they're, you know, throwing the ball 65 times a game and, and their offense is just like nothing you've ever seen in the, in the pros. How is that going to translate? How long is it going to take, uh, for them to become more of an NFL style player? And, and I think some coaches are scared of that because mm-hmm. they're not sure how much they can sort of change who they are. Uh, and then other ones, uh, like Andy Reid just says, you know, this guy's got tons of talent. Uh, he, he thinks he can change him and mold him into more of a pro quarterback, and that's what he's done so far with Mahomes. Yeah, and sitting him for the year was, I think, just huge for him to be able to come in and learn everything. Uh, I think you can put a guy in over his head, and even though Josh Allen played really well against the uh, Vikings, that's the only time he's played well. And when I was watching him against the Packers, he looked in over his head, didn't he? I mean, it just it looked like he was having trouble with 
protections and reads and knowing where pressure was come from and then you know making plays like heaving the ball up in the air where it turns into a punt in the red zone it's just like maybe this was a classic guy that needed to sit just like Patrick Mahomes I think very much so I I think absolutely Josh Allen needed to sit I think this is a terrible idea for him and and he is a kid you know similar lots of talent with a huge arm uh he's not accurate right now at all and they've been sort of talking about this but that Packers game you know he threw about five balls about about seven feet over the wide Mm -hmm. receiver's head and the receiver was open it wasn't like he was throwing it away necessarily and just the ball just you know goes goes high on him a lot of times for whatever reason uh so I I think let's add to the fact that it's not just sitting Mahomes sat behind Alex Smith yeah who is like the technician Mm -hmm. uh you know of really executing an offense really sort of managing the game Going through your reads, getting the ball out, uh, you know, and occasionally would be a playmaker because he's good with his legs, but wasn't a playmaker with his arms. So uh, I think for Mahomes to, who has all this talent and has all this natural ability to be a sort of a gunslinger playmaker to sit behind a guy who is just executing, you know, the game plan to perfection and going through his reads and trying mm-hmm. to have the perfect footwork. So you try to have that and then you add your own sort of special sauce to the whole thing which just Mahomes' natural ability, natural talent. Yeah, I, I definitely think Buffalo went the wrong way with forcing this kid right in uh, the way that they did. I, I don't know if that accuracy issue is ever going to get resolved, but um, as far as him being ready, it doesn't look like it's anywhere close. So I, I think, No, and I think the, you remember they, they, tried to have, they tried to have A.J. McCarron yeah. be their starter, yeah. and that didn't work out. They already shipped him off uh, to Oakland before the season. You know, start obviously Peterman, their other backup who threw five picks and a half. That was their other option, right? I mean, yes. Buffalo is really talk about really screwing this thing up. A team that went to the playoffs last year, and uh, despite being the Vikings, looks like they have no chance of getting to the playoffs this year. You know what they needed? They needed a journeyman quarterback. So now it is time, and I hope you all enjoy our produced open. Now it is time for the journeyman quarterback of the week. It's time for Matthew and Sage to honor one of the NFL's great journeyman quarterbacks. Okay, Sage, the Philadelphia Eagles are a treasure trove of journeyman quarterbacks. Listen to this. From 91 to 97, here are their quarterbacks. Jim McMahon, Randall Cunningham. These are the leading passers. Jim McMahon, Randall Cunningham, Bubby Brister, Cunningham again, Rodney Pete. Ty Detmer and Bobby Hoying, and then that's followed up by Doug Peterson leading them in passing one year. Whew. I mean, that's amazing. <laughs> that is incredible. That is incredible. Yeah, they've had some, some, some definite names there, and some, some sort of legendary players. It's uh, and some great players, by the way. Some, some great. You know, Randa Cunningham was just. He was one of the most exciting. He was sort of like the Michael Vick before Michael Vick. He was the most exciting guys to to play in the league during that time. Mm-hmm. Yeah, definitely a, 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 one of those places that had a lot of journeyman backups. You know, they had a lot of these West Coast quarterbacks, sort of like the Packers. It became sort of like the Packers East, where you they'd find all these sort of journeyman West Coast quarterbacks. Uh, you know, under Andy Reid. You know, John Gruden was there. Uh, even before that, and as, as the offensive coordinator, or maybe as the the the, uh, the quarterback coach or something, you know, Jay Fiedler, uh, he and our teammates, he actually started his career uh, as a backup in, in Philadelphia. Yeah, a lot of a lot of quality backup names there. Bobby Hoyne, 
from yeah. Ohio State. That's I have not one. heard that name uh, in probably 15 years. They were fifth in the NFL in yards with Bobby Hoying, and they went 6-9-1. and one. <laughs> That's so great. Uh, But we want to honor another Detmer. So Ty Detmer actually had a really good year there once. And uh, in 1996, got them to a 10-6 season. His brother was also a Philadelphia Eagle. And that was Coy Detmer. And I will tell you, Sage, what I remember about Coy Detmer is I didn't think he looked at all like an NFL quarterback. Like just his look. He had like the Sam Bradford sleeves, I think. And the pads kind of look too big for him. He just, it's just like, this is, this is the guy who's playing for you, huh? And he was, he was a quarterback that you would not describe as a, you know, a guy that you couldn't get out of the weight room. Uh, he, <laughs> he, he was, I don't, maybe he was 190, I think they have him listed as 195 pounds, but I don't think he weighed 195 pounds. He was always a skinny guy. You know, word is he never liked to go lift weights. That wasn't a thing at all. He didn't Me care. Too, I also uh, never like uh, to go with weights. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. So, but what's crazy is how few passes he threw over the course of his career yes. and played in the NFL for like 11 years. I mean, absolutely incredible uh, to have his, you know, you know, like only through 10 career touchdown passes uh, for what I'm seeing here. Yes. And you played for 11 years. I mean, I, I threw 30 touchdown passes and I think that's crazy to do that over 12 years. He only threw 10 over 11 years and so uh you know out of colorado by the way so my my freshman year at iowa state he is the colorado starting quarterback uh ray caruth uh is one of their wide receivers he throws a touchdown pass to ray caruth and goes running past our sideline this is coy Mm -hmm. running past our sideline doing the high knees things (laughs) and giving us and giving us the double bird (laughs) (laughs) that was my that was my introduction to Coy Detmer. Uh, Coy Detmer double bird would have been incredible if Twitter was around. Oh, yeah, man. yeah, there was a little different world back then. Yeah, everyone had cell phones, all those things. <laughs> you know, you know, very few games were actually on TV. You know, right. you really had about two or three games a year. It seemed like that were on TV, unless you were like Notre Dame or or Ohio State or something like that. So yeah, Coy Detmer running past our sidelines, like right by the numbers, just right down the sidelines <laughs> to our entire team. Here's the bird as I threw. Throw a touchdown pass to Ray Cruz, who ends up going to, to prison for murder. I mean, right. what is yeah. what, that's it's an interesting story right that, there. That that's a great one. Now I have an answer to your why he played for so long and didn't ever really play, other than that Donovan McNabb was mostly healthy. But in his Wikipedia, and this is why I always go to Wiki because there's always some gem. This is a sentence in his Wiki: Despite his poor passing numbers. Detmer managed to have an 11-year career due to his ability to hold, to hold. for yeah. place kicks. Yes. <laughs> then Eagles special team coach John Harbaugh and Pro Bowl kicker David Akers both spoke highly of Detmer's talent and skill in this area. Now, Holding add, place let's, kicks? Let's, let's add some detail to this, by the way. So so most teams, the punter is right. the holder, okay? But in Philadelphia, Coy was so good at it. For one, it was <laughs> it's a le- David Akers so was good. left. David Akers is left-footed, so you had to sort of relearn, you know, holding for a right-footed kicker and left-footed kicker opposite. So you got to sort of learn to do it the other way. But David Akers, and this is, you know, this is known if you're a Philadelphia person, was maybe the most, I don't know if I, can I say, can I say anal retentive? Is that the right? Yeah. Can I use that word? Okay. On the podcast. All right. So he was probably the most anal retentive kicker in the history of the NFL. Like if you're, if you missed his spot by like a quarter of an, an inch 
and this and the the, the threads were were you know rather than going at twelve o'clock, they were at like one thirty. He would make a comment that it was a shitty hold, <laughs> so he was he was really you know particular about having the perfect holder. And since Koi was so good at it, uh, that basically you know kept him a roster spot for years and years and years. And and I and I, there was a time when remember when when McNabb got hurt, uh, Jeff Garcia came yes, in to be the quarterback. Yes. They had, they had cut Detmer uh, to sign people to sign people that were better, you know, to play. But when it came playoff time. They signed Detmer back just because in playoff games they didn't want to have a bad hold for wow. David Akers. Yeah. Wow, I did not realize that. That is amazing. And also, you better be David Akers if you're going to be like that as a kicker. It'll find somebody else, right? I mean, yeah, you only like one of the best kickers of all time gets to be that way. Uh, that is amazing. And some and some kickers didn't care. Some kickers were like, hey, get it, you know, basically get it down and. Don't let me kick the seams. If they're going off the side, it's not the end of the world. Just please don't have me kick the seams, right? Uh, but for Acres, at least he was such a perfectionist, and and uh, and obviously Coy was good at it. So you know, Jason Garrett in my career, uh, and I held in high school. Uh, I, I'm sorry, I kicked in high school. I held in college for my first three years. When I was with him in Miami, he was like, "Hey, keep up your holding." So he would actually force me uh, to take a lot of holds. Uh, you know, as like the base of the backup holder on our team, yeah. you know, never really worked out, never, you know, had to help, uh, hold for my first uh, about 10 years in the NFL. Mm-hmm. When I get to New York um, after I left the, after I left the Vikings, this is in 2010, uh, I ended up being the holder for the, about the last two thirds of the year. We had a rookie punter who was our holder. He had never held before. He wasn't very good. Hmm. And uh, they said, you know, they, they saw me holding practice and, and Lawrence Tynes was like, you're my holder. This is just the way I don't even know why we're, we're dealing with this other kid. And so I ended up being the holder late in my career. So yeah, there is a lot of value there. It's like, you know, it's like a lawyer. You don't really, uh, you don't really appreciate a good holder, uh, until you don't, <laughs> until you don't have one at all. <laughs> right. <laughs> oh man. Well, that's, that is great. And that is why each week we honor a great journeyman quarterback for stories like, Coy Detmer, double bird, and Coy Detmer, the greatest holder of all time. And I would also like to mention on his wiki that there is a fiction work called 1776 that mentions a scavenger hunt played far in the future in which players find a football signed by Coy Detmer. So, <laughs> but which, I'm looking at his stats here. 1998, he throws. Uh, he, he completes 97 of 181 passes. All right. This is his rookie year, uh, 181 passes. His whole career, he threw 354, <laughs> which means he threw in the next 10 years, he didn't throw as many passes as he, as he threw in his rookie year. That's a pretty incredible stat. And one more from the stat page. You know that I love this when a journeyman has his day. And on November 25th, Philadelphia at San Francisco. Coy Detmer goes crazy, winning 38-17 over the 49ers. He goes 18 for 26, two touchdowns, a 121.8 quarterback rating. Have your day, Coy Detmer. Double double birds to the 49ers. But did not finish the game, got injured. A.J. Feely came in to finish it and then end up sort of being the starter later on that year uh, and, until McNabb got healthy and came back to the playoffs. Right. Did you remember that? I remember that because this is, you know, I said, well, one, AJ's my, probably one of my closest NFL friends. Oh, that's right. right? And, you know, we, you sort of follow each other's careers with, 
year all these guys drafted in the same year. Uh, and I was in Washington, you know, during that time initially. So I really followed that, that NFC East, obviously, and what was going on. So yeah, the, the whole thing was that, you know, even, you know, Coy was the backup and AJ was a third guy. But in reality, AJ was actually the better quarterback. So he was actually the backup. But since Coy was the holder, you know, officially Coy was <laughs> right. the number two quarterback. Right. It's amazing. Yeah, he, That's amazing. Uh, holding the football for extra points and field goals went a long way for Corey Dever, That's, made him a lot of money. That's great. You can find ways to survive if you can do something no one else can do. So he, he does awesome. have a son, by the way, who I think he just transferred, but his son, Corey Detmer Jr., was a walk-on quarterback at, uh, at BYU for about the last two or three years, uh, where his brother Ty won the Heisman Trophy. That's right. And Ty, one of the best college quarterbacks of all time. So how about that? All right. Well, Coy Detmer was worth it. It's going to be tough to top Coy Detmer from week to week, man. That's a good one. So it looks like whoever the Vikings play, we're going to try to maybe spotlight a quarterback yes. from that team, a journeyman backup. Yeah, and the Eagles. I think it's a good man. idea. They're the perfect team for it. So, okay, well, thank you for all your time. I know we went long here, but Coy Detmer was worth it, as I've always said. Coy uh, Detmer's so- always worth it. That should be a T-shirt. <laughs> Coy Detmer is always worth it. That's perfect. That's a great way to end it. Uh, thank you, Sage, as always, and thank you all for listening to the Purple Podcast. This holiday, whether you're making a Baker's Simple Truth Turkey for 40 or a Murray's Baked Brie for two, Baker's has fast, fresh delivery and free pickup, so you can make holiday meals that bring you all together to create memories that last. Baker's, fresh for everyone. Free pickup on orders of $35 or more. Restrictions may apply. Get more ways to save at the Buy 5 or More Save $1 each sale. Just buy five or more participating items and save a dollar each with card. Bakers, fresh for everyone.